Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In his essay, What is Art and Institutional Analysis? George Dickey will provide a definition of art that's actually quite complex and rather ingenious. He thinks that it is an adequate definition of art that overcomes the problems of earlier theories of art that focused on something that was taken to be an essential quality of art that turned out not to be so, like the imitation theory focusing on imitation, the expressive theory focus on expression of emotion. And so Dickey is going to propose instead this new definition of art. And there's really two main parts to it, one of which requires a good amount of analysis that he provides. So the first part is that in order to be a work of art, it has to be an artifact. It has to have artifactuality. And this is if we're talking about art in a classificatory sense, not in a derivative sense where we, you know, find a piece of driftwood and we're like, oh, that's art. But where we're actually saying, no, this falls within the definition of what we're going to call art, what the later on he'll talk about is the art world calling art. So artifactuality, we're not going to worry too much about that. Instead, we're going to look at the other part of the definition. He says a work of art in the classificatory sense is an artifact, a set of the aspects of which has had conferred upon it the status of candidate for appreciation by some person or persons acting on behalf of a certain social institution, that social institution being what he is here calling the art world. So he says there's four notions involved in this, two of which are very closely connected. So what are these four notions? The first, he says, is acting on behalf of an institution. In this case, the art world or one of the systems of the art world could be theater, could be painting, could be whatever you like. So that's the first. The second, conferring of status conferring the status of being art, right? The status in this case leads us to the third condition, being a candidate, being a candidate, being potentially something recognized as that. And then finally, appreciation. So Dickey thinks that these four aspects, elements, whatever we want to call them, features interconnected notions plus artifactuality give us a viable definition of the work of art. So he says, let's take the first two of these together because they're so closely related. He says, I'm first going to describe paradigm cases of conferring status outside the art world, then show how similar actions take place within the art world. And so he brings up a king's conferring of knighthood, a grand jury's indicting somebody, those sorts of things, like a minister's pronouncing a couple, man and wife. All of these confer some sort of legal status upon a person. 
And there can be other types of status that are being conferred as well. Uh, it gives us an example, the conferring of a PhD degree on someone by a university, electing someone as president to a club. In this case, he talks about the rotary or declaring an object as a relic of the church. These are non-legal status, but these are also still important status. So what are we talking about when it comes to art? He says, well, you know, the art world itself is a thing. Well, not really a thing. You want more of an atmosphere and network that confers the status of art upon certain things. There are practices. So he says, how is status conferred by this institution? Here's where it gets really interesting. He says that in a way analogous to the way in which a person is certified as qualified for office or two persons acquire the status of common law marriage or a person is elected president of the Rotary or a person acquires the status of wise man within a community. So an artifact can acquire the status of candidate for appreciation within the social system called the art world. And then he says, well, how do we know that this has taken place? Some obvious means of this would be you put it on a wall and you might think the recent kind of joking thing where you duct tape a banana and say, oh, there's some art, right? It's in a gallery. Well, you know, that might confer status. Other people might come along and say, sorry, that's bullshit. And I'm not going to recognize it as art. So simply being in a museum does not yet necessarily qualify it as art. I mean, you might say, well, you know, I leave a doorknob sitting around because I'm completing a job fixing the doorknobs and somebody comes along and looks at it, doesn't see that there's no little tag or anything and says, well, that must be a work of art there. Not intended as a work of art, but it could be taken as such. So there's, like he says, there's no guarantee that one can always know whether something is a candidate for appreciation, just as one cannot always tell whether they're given a person as a knight or, or married. He says, when an object status depends on non exhibited characteristics, a simple look will not necessarily reveal that status. Now it could be indicated by some sort of, as he's calling it, badge, for example, a wedding ring, right? In which case a simple look will reveal the status. And generally in a gallery, how do we know what the works of art is? We look for the title placard, maybe with a little explanation next to it. And if we don't see anything like that, eh, we don't know it's a work of art or not. Maybe it's just like a mop that got stood in the corner and we're not sure whether it's supposed to be a work of art. So this conferring of status and acting on behalf of an institution closely connected together, those are sufficiently clear enough. There's, there's one other thing that he does say about status. Who confers it? Who, who actually speaks for the art world? He says, only one person is, is, is actually required to act on behalf of the art world and to confer the status. In fact, many works of art are seen only by one person, the one who creates them, but they're still art. The status in question may be acquired by a single person acting on behalf of the art world and treating an artifact as a candidate for appreciation. So often he says it's conferred by a single person, the artist, him or herself, creating the artifact. What about these other notions? Being a candidate. Being a candidate, being something that can take on the possibility of something else. He says, a member of the art world confers the status, so status is one thing, of candidate for appreciation, two other things. He says, the definition, 
does not require a work of art actually be appreciated. So this is a matter of, you could say, potentiality or possibility. If I create a work of art, you know, perhaps a musical composition, and then I hide it away in my desk, it is still a candidate for appreciation, even though it will not come to light until, say, I die and somebody pulls it out and they're like, well, I'm not going to throw this out. Let me sit down on the keyboard and see how this sounds. Likewise, other modes of art may similarly not actually be appreciated, but could potentially be appreciated. He says, many works of art, in fact, go unappreciated. It's important not to build into the definition of the classificatory sense of work of art, value properties such as actual appreciation, because this would make it impossible to speak of unappreciated works of art. He also points out that not every aspect of a work of art is included in the candidacy for appreciation. He uses the example of a painting. Now the painting, you may appreciate the painting itself. The frame might also be part of what you're appreciating. Go to the Louvre, for example. You're not going to say to the people there, you know, I really would like to see that painting outside of the frame so I can just get away from all this ornate gilt edges and stuff like that. They'll look at you like you're nuts. The frame frame is essentially part of the, the, the work of art now, right? But nobody's going to pick the painting up and turn it around and look at the backside and say, oh, I love the color on this canvas. This is amazing. Or look at those staples, how they did that. What craftsmanship. I mean, you could do that, but nobody does right? And similarly, if you're at the symphony and you're out there in the seats listening to the musicians play, you don't actually like get up on stage and like look down into the bassoon and say, "Ooh, it's very dark in there or anything like that. Assuming that they actually let you, let's say you're, you know, super rich and you could hire the symphony to do that. You don't wander around checking out, Ooh, look how shiny the keys are on, on that saxophone. I wonder how oiled they are. Let me smell the tuba and see what the brass smells like. No, no, those are not parts of the candidacy for appreciation. For each type of art, there are aspects that we, we appreciate and aspects that we're not particularly concerned with. The fourth thing is appreciation. And here Dickey says, I don't want to worry about some specifically aesthetic appreciation as if that's somehow something rather different than other types of appreciation. He says, all I mean by it is something like this. In experiencing the qualities of a thing, one finds them worthy or valuable. And this meaning applies quite generally both inside and outside the domain of art. And he says, some people have, you know, gone after me and said, this is not sufficiently clear or aesthetic enough. But he says, that's not really a problem. So this leaves the door open to, to quite a lot. Anything that we find valuable in some respect means that it's potentially appreciatable, which means that this definition, right, of conferring the status of being a candidate candidate for appreciation, it could be that we're conferring the status of being a candidate for moral appreciation or appreciation in terms of how something actually tastes or smells or things like that. But in general, it's going to be something that we would typically think of as aesthetic. 
He does point out one very interesting thing. He says, if something cannot be appreciated, it cannot become art, but that doesn't help us that much because what can't be appreciated? So some critics have, have said that there are many things that cannot be appreciated. For example, ordinary thumbtacks, cheap white envelopes, the plastic forks given at some drive-in restaurants, or Duchamp's ready-mades like fountain. And Dickey says, are you sure? Why can't you appreciate fountain? Couldn't you appreciate the porcelain and like look at it and be, well, that's very shiny. And I kind of like the whiteness of that, how it reflects things. And then he says, similarly, thumbtacks, envelopes, and plastic forks have qualities that can be appreciated if one makes the effort to focus attention on them. We might also think about, you know, artists such as Baudelaire, who gets a lot of guff in his own time for writing a poem about essentially a roadkill, right? Carrion, and tries to say that there's something that we can appreciate in that. Most people would say, oh, a stinky roadkill, no good, right? But he finds a way to make it beautiful. So really anything could be made into a candidate for appreciation if it's situated in the right way in relation to the art world. So this leads to the final thing. He asks, well, is this definition that I've provided because of this reference to the art world, is it viciously circular? He says that some may have the uncomfortable feeling that it is such because if I'd said something like a work of art is an artifact on which a status has been conferred by the art world and then said of the art world only that it confers the status of the candidacy for appreciation, that would be viciously circular. Why? because the circle would be small and uninformative. So the question isn't whether it's a circular definition. Dickey's perfectly willing to say, yeah, it's a circular definition. As a matter of fact, anything institutional is probably gonna be a circular definition. The question is, is the circle small or large? Is the circle uninformative or informative? So he says that I've devoted considerable space in this chapter to describing and analyzing the historical, organizational, and functional intricacies of the art world. So you've received a considerable amount of information about the art world, which means that I have given you something that is not small and not uninformative. So it is not a vicious circle, although it is a circular definition. So this provides us with at least a candidate for a pretty good definition of artwork in the 20th and 21st century, perhaps one that we can read back all the way through history and use as an index. Although now this means that we need to know something a bit about the art world in consideration for any time that we're going back to if we want to classify things as works of art. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.